I guess if we change the name of 20, actually, you know what? Let's go back, which would be a pretty good name for the year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? Let's put this shit in reverse. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 261 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I have dry eyeballs. I'm Sam, and I'm trying real hard. And today is May 31, 20 Blendy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. It will be pleasant, but it will exist. So yeah, if you don't that's like why it, it starts with pro. Yeah, right, pro we're going to be real good, good at it. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, whose money we have grabbed. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Studio news. Uh, we're going we're gonna to skip. Talking about life. We're just going to talk about the studio mm-hmm. this this yeah. week. We uh, want to get to questions, on? and we already just have so many things to get So many things about. going on. Um, so first thing, we are moved out of the office. We have shut down our physical location. Uh, we have switched to a s- indefinite work-from-home state. Which, um, I mean, we already did all of this stuff. So we, we already were moved out in the sense that we weren't working from the office. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? But and we already had, were but switched to an indefinite to doing that forever state. Right. But we still had the physical space. Yeah. Um, and we, we kind of held on to it for a while, basically saying, like, we'll see how this plays out. Um, it also, played out badly. It played out badly. <laughs> and also, we didn't want to do the part of physically moving out uh, while also launching level head because yeah. those were happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be saving a, a healthy chunk of change over the coming, uh, I don't know. Indefinite years. period of time. Uh, uh, it's been interesting switching to this remote work. It, it also, I want to just say before we talk about this, uh, this remote work stuff a little bit more, uh, it, it was interesting taking all the stuff out of that office because it, it, it had this sort of like end of an era feeling to it. Yeah. It's um, a weird thing. I, because we basically went in phases, right? Because quarantine stuff. So every two or three days, someone new would go in. And the building's a ghost town for one. Where previously, there's nobody there. Yeah, previously it was like there's just tons of people everywhere. And then it was weird because like I haven't gotten fired from a place. But so it's weird because like I packed up a box. Right. I, I, it's like oh, those, from your desk. Yeah. Like all those <laughs> scenes in movies you see of like someone packing yeah. their box and getting escorted out. Like I, you know. I haven't actually experienced that, but then it was just odd because I was like kind of doing that for myself. Um, well, it's it it it's hard to describe how it felt, but I think it's it's because of the fact that almost all of Levelhead's development was in that office. Yeah. It was also our first legitimate office space um, that we have rented from a somewhere else. <laughs> um, it felt like a like a it felt like a period of a lot of sort of maturation in terms of how the studio was approaching things. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like we discovered DevOps in that office. We developed our QA uh, plat- like platform and system and hiring practice, et cetera. Yeah. There we, we hired our- The game pipe was born there. Yep. We hired our other yeah. two employees who aren't sure since he's been around, you know, for a million years now. But we mm-hmm. hired other two employees while we were there and figured out how to do a better job of onboarding people and think about management, you know? Yeah. yeah, and I mean the, everything changed. It's yeah, it's just it is the end of something. It's the beginning of something else, of course. Um, but it is the end of of a phase of of what we were doing as a studio, and 
it's kind of weirdly lined stuff because this, this also happened with Crashlands, right? Like when we 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 launched Crashlands, we've been working. I was I was in Dallas the whole time mm-hmm. doing that, right? Uh, so I was still living still living in Dallas when we launched the game. Um, we immediately started hiring people. Um, we immediately built Seth's basement into an office, and then a few months later, I had moved here. And so we, we transitioned from Crashlands also from like from from us spending, you know, three years or whatever doing doing all the stuff from our own homes, mostly remotely on our laptops without any employees uh, into having a shared space um, uh, with employees and, you know, working on the next thing. So we've actually done this with with uh, with both of our main titles now. Um, yeah. Is just have this like really significant transition period, um, and then with and then and on, to top it off too. Then when we launched Crashlands, is also right after Sam got his cancer-free diagnosis yeah, a month right? after. So it was so like weird. really, really, it, like really significant, enormous changes coincided with uh, with each of these things. It's um, uh, it, it's kind of interesting too to think why, because it's it's also the case that. Um, like, like you said, we didn't move out of the office until we had finished launching Levelhead because we didn't want to have to worry about both of those things, at, you know, around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's probably the case that when it comes to launching games, we do kind of like l- purposely line them up with a lot of things. Like, oh yeah, it's it's time to close this chapter, you know, and move yep. on to the next big adventure. Yeah, it all, it all makes um, sense. It's just that it does. It does mark a really this like really significant period of of turmoil, you know. So so a launch is not just a, a period of turmoil because of the launch and like the and the players it does or does not bring in and the money it does or does not bring in and so on. Um, but basically, no matter what, you're going to be moving on to something, right? Whether it's a new way, a, a new sort of state of managing that game, if you're going to go into sort of a live ops mode or something, you know, or moving into a new game entirely, uh, or or moving even into a new career if things go really horribly, go yeah. very bad. Yeah, yeah, it's right? basically an inflection point, right? That you're yeah, so it's like, it's like yeah. something is going to happen um, when you when you launch that thing, and it might just be purely emotionally because maybe you'll end up exactly where you were, right? Where things are still fine, uh, but nothing has really changed in, a, in like significantly, and then you have to kind of emotionally deal with the fact that. Despite the fact that you just launched a game, like <laughs> nothing has changed. Actually, that's kind of that's kind of weird, and, and it's own that's also, thing to do. It's with. always a weird state. Um, yeah, and there's there's still a few things, uh, a couple of things left um, for us to get in the office, and of course, there's uh, there's other turmoil happening um, in the world right now, which is making it more challenging for us to get back to the office to get those things. Um, it's a lot of shit happening. Yeah. So we'll we're but we're almost done with this phase, uh, and as we moved into into this remote work, um, you know, we, we talked about it quite a bit in those first couple of weeks. But we haven't really touched back on it on it much since. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about meetings because uh, in Freakonomics, the Freakonomics podcast, they had a, a whole episode about meetings. I love and this. Yeah. people hate people hate meetings. They just hate them, and they are they are typically conveyed as like a waste of time. And they should be avoided at all costs, et cetera. And and I I haven't really ha- had that experience a lot um, in like in our own studio, in terms of like when we meet to talk about stuff, um, it's it's a conversation, right? And like we're engaged with what the subject matter is. And once we've solved the the problem we came to solve, uh, then we 
we leave, right? Like we go back to mm-hmm. doing, <laughs> doing yeah. stuff. And there's, there's uh, a also, I didn't have that experience in my, in like my past life doing science either, where there was, there was always like, we, we all came in and everyone was collaborating on some goal, right? Whether, whether it was basically to, to criticize the fuck out of somebody's presentation of their science, you know, which was a thing we were all very involved in. Uh, or you, or you presenting a thing, or getting together trying to figure out how to how to solve a problem. You know, I, do, I don't remember. I remember being bored at like it, when somebody was doing a bad job presenting, for example, or whatever. Like I remember that kind of component of it, but I don't remember really feeling like the thing itself, like as a as a concept, was a waste of time or something that I shouldn't be doing. Well, this this was interesting because they took they took calls from people to share their meeting opinions and stories and stuff, and they did have a call from a, a scientist. Who was like, I love meetings. We <laughs> right, go in there. Yeah. We go in there. People are presenting their findings. Everybody's arguing about yeah, like whether yeah, it's, it's legitimate. Rich, you know? yeah. yeah. But they, they had a couple of interesting notes. Um, one was this concept of an, an unhealthy peace. Right. So there's, there's – un- people always talk about unhealthy conflict. Uh, in like a workplace environment where like people are being openly mean to each other or have this like passive aggressive thing or or whatever it is. But um, they also introduced this idea of the unhealthy peace, which is actually where a lot of companies kind of you're, you're walking on eggshells and so you're not actually doing anything useful or interesting because you're yeah. trying to avoid creating conflict uh, as a consequence. Right. Nobody will say the things that need to be said, which makes meetings be a, a waste of time, right? Because yeah. because the way the point. that yeah, the way that you uh, the way that you move forward is by bringing problems out into the open. Um, mm. they, they also talked a lot about problems of like calendar scheduling. Oh my god! And this this is something I, I thought was kind of interesting yeah. because because uh, when we schedule meetings for ourselves, we schedule the start of the meeting, but mm-hmm. there is no schedule for the meeting, right? And so the meeting is is made for a purpose, which is like we need to figure out what to do about X. Yeah. Uh, we'll do that at three o'clock. So at three o'clock we get there. If it takes eight minutes to figure that out, then the meeting is done at three oh eight and everybody Well this and this makes sense, <laughs> right? Because if you need to have a meeting, then that means you're trying to solve a problem. And if you're trying to solve a problem, that means you haven't solved it before. If you haven't solved it before, there's no fucking way you can guess how long it will take mm-hmm. to solve that problem. Yeah. So you can't be like, we're going to solve this problem in one hour because because what will oftentimes happen in a in a more sort of like structured corporate environment is is two things. One is you do solve the problem quickly. Um, and then there's this sort of like moment where everybody says like, well, you know, we've got the we've got the room for the next 45 minutes. It's actually interesting to say that I've had that happen because we have we've had tons of calls with both our our uh, partners and then also just like, a you know, sort of people come come out of the woodwork after you launch a game to try to sell you shit, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm getting a lot of emails. Oh, yeah. To do yeah. That. And I have met with a couple of people and, you know, we'll, we'll set aside like 45 minutes or something. And usually like I'll get exactly what I need within 12 to 15 minutes. This actually happened on Friday. Um, and then I'm just like, cool, okay, well, if you need something, then let me know. Otherwise, I'll get back to you if this is interesting. And I've had I've had – I think at least half the people now be like, well, we have another like 20, you know, 20 minutes. Do you want to, is there anything else you want to know about or talk about? Like, and I'm like, no, we literally don't. Know. Well, yeah, it goes the other we way We don't too, have 20 though. more minutes. We're done yeah. now. <laughs> I, well, I think, I think that those, those meetings, those external meetings that we have are going the opposite way too, where you'll get to the end of the allotted time. Oh yeah. And you're not necessarily done doing things, but they'll be like, well, we're, we're kind of, out, we're about out of time. So, you know, we can, we, we can just schedule another yeah, meeting yeah. to like do what with is this? Yeah. It's like, what the, if we're, if we're out of time but haven't solved the problem, then what's the point? Yep. You know, like what are what are we doing here? What's the point of the time? Uh, yeah. being well, I think it's because 
the, the people that we interact with from these third parties, like these external things, um, they it's very different. They're trying to achieve something very different than what we're achieving, right? They're working with multiple teams like us, mm-hmm. right? Trying to sort of solve collections of problems for each one of those those entities. And so the only way to reasonably do that is to – because that's actually their job. Their job is to have those meetings to, to yep. do that stuff, right? And so they basically need to schedule them back to back and they have to try so to So they're choose. out of time. So they're out of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I've, I always treat those things as just – working with those third parties is just, just very soft and I don't worry about it. And I just I just let them take the lead in terms of what time means because I, I just make sure I get what I need early and mm-hmm. then – you know they're in less control of their time than they're you in less are control of their time, time, and then yeah. and then because even even the stuff where they, then they kind of stick around for a bit, uh, I just treat that as an opportunity to deepen a relationship with <laughs> with whatever with whoever they are because because yeah they're they're in that weird position where where for them since their job is these meetings right uh, then they don't waste time by finishing the meeting right right uh, in the same sense that we do where it's like okay well like why burn another twenty minutes I could be programming mm-hmm. right. Um, but if we instead treat that as time to to just deepen that that relationship we have with that third party, then you know that's not that's no that's no longer time lost. It's not time poorly spent, and so so uh, we actually align our interests with them by mm-hmm. by doing that, which is interesting. So yeah. we, we've ended up talking a lot about like Sam's been talking about baking with some of our people, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, swapping recipes and, and <laughs> swapping recipes. Send her a picture yeah. of you've got the time made today. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because but yeah. it depends well, if they're again if they're a key business partner versus like. You know, fucking random. Yeah, random. Like, yeah. Someone, someone tried to, to sell you something. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, you got what you need. I got what I need. I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Someone <laughs> trying to sell me something, and then they and then they say, "Let's hop on a call," and then I I make the mistake of saying, "Okay, let's do that." Uh, and then they allot half an hour, and we in the first ten minutes we figure out what's going on, and they're like, and they try to keep me around for another 20, 20 yeah, minutes or whatever. Yeah. Like, no, that's that's not okay. Yeah, my usual. So I, I think there's another big, big uh, mistake that people make in meetings, which is they use them to convey information as opposed to right. discussing information. Yep. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you can send information to somebody in a one-way communication through dozens of different mechanisms. The meeting is for actual like bilateral communication. Yeah, you otherwise you should call it a presentation where mm-hmm. for right. some reason it's too hard to convey the information just over an email or something, yeah. which, which so, happens. So if I do get – my my favorite thing to do with the with the uh, generic sales pitch because you also know that like so many times they'll be like we have we at our company have noticed that butterscotch today oh, yeah. is yeah. doing great well like you can tell it's just like a fucking they plugged a thing into a mail merge mm-hmm. and so I I like to uh, respond and just be like hey I don't understand what exactly it would be that your company would do to help us based on our specific situation can you put together a presentation. And send it to me, right? Um, because the fact is, like, they might actually have something useful, but I don't want to sit in a meeting. Don't. Yeah, like, I don't might. want to sit in a meeting for thirty minutes. I did have a really, to learn that. Yeah, I had yeah. a really weird one of these actually uh, through LinkedIn a couple weeks ago. Someone's like, "Hey, we've been working with uh, musicians, and we put well, we put music into games where like that, you know, makes sense." And and they had mentioned they were like, "With your with your newest game launch, we thought maybe you guys would want to." Like this might be an interesting opportunity, which like could be cool because, you know, Rocket League has all these like dope electronic music stuff going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, that could be fun. Like Levelhead needs plenty of music tracks. I don't know. Might be interesting. And so I was like, okay, what are you like? What are you thinking? And then the guy responded. He was like, he was like, well, I don't know. Could you tell me more about your most recent game launch? And I'm like, you don't even. You you didn't even look at it. (laughs) (laughs) This means you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Uh 
Come on. Yes, right. So, did you just write no? I almost no. did, honestly. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there are certain key words to look for. You know, if somebody sends you one of these emails, it's like if they, for example, don't actually name your game. Yep. If they – a lot of times they will send it and they will, they will just call the studio Butterscotch Games. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't know what our studio is called. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Deleted. Yeah, there, there's certain obvious uh, red flags that you're just being sent a form email. Yeah, um, I actually just delete them out of hand because the other thing, because we also know this from doing our own email stuff, right? Uh, and from from companies using Salesforce and these other these other big uh, enterprise sales tracking technologies, right? Is the moment you open an email that triggers the next round of things to happen. Yep. Yeah. And so if a thing looks – because you only get you – know, like a Gmail, you get the snippet of the first like 10 words or whatever. So if in those 10 words it looks like someone's going to try to sell me something, I just delete it. There's, I don't even open it. I don't even <laughs> what it is. You're like, there's, there's almost zero chance that this is worth – All Yeah, there is just zero. Um, yeah, there was actually a recent there – there was a period of time of about a month where on LinkedIn I was getting repeated – just repeated uh, prompts from people who were who were trying to connect within some message about how since we're all in the AI industry and like and it's, and it's booming, it's, and I'm like, I'm not in the fucking AI. What are you talking? Like, I, I scoured my profile <laughs> trying to find out what the fuck they were talking about, and there's nothing. Like, there's no mention of artificial intelligence on my whole thing, right? And uh, you just got on a list somehow. Yep, somewhere. I got on a list somehow, and I, and I know this happened too now with because uh, over the past several weeks, I've been suddenly getting a lot more. I got emails from yeah. just like a lot more. So there's definitely, there's just some, or there's something we all have recently signed up for, uh, or not even recent necessary, but there's, there's some entity that recently sold our data is basically what has happened. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, it's now these fucking, yeah. What did you, what yeah. else did Freakonomics <laughs> say about meetings though, Seth, as far as like the actual, you know, what's the. Well, it, it was basically just like a, like a collection of, of like analyses about, about this the specific things that people do. Cause like a, a meeting is literally two people or two or more people talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And on, on its face, like that is great. That's a, that's fantastic. It's, it's yeah, a good it's, thing. It's to a do. collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Communication is key. Um, but the, I think the big takeaway was for me was that as people move up in a, in a company hierarchy, more and more of their time is meetings. Right. So if you're an executive, then typically Literally, your job is meetings. Well, yeah, because your job you, isn't to do the work. Your job is to orchestrate the work. You just orchestrate the work and you do that by talking by to talking people. By talking to people, right? yep. um, And so it, it makes perfect sense. But it's kind of like, Adam, what you were saying about when you're when we meet with some business partner and their job is to meet with 100 different indie studios, then every day for them is just back-to-back 30-minute meetings. Mm, right? Yeah, there's an asymmetry in what we're actually – and what we value in terms of like what our time means, what we're trying to do and what we, what we need to be doing next, you know? Right. So for them, like if, if let's say five minutes in, it's, it, it becomes apparent like, oh, actually this meeting didn't need to happen. Right. But what are they going to do for the next 25 minutes? Cause they got another meeting coming up in 25 minutes right. and they can't do anything in the meantime. So they're, so they're just going to stretch the the time out. And, and this is how a lot of uh, managers operate mm-hmm. at companies, right? Like they're thinking about their own calendar, um, and they don't want it to. They also don't want to uh, sort of like lose face by calling a meeting, immediately learning that the meeting didn't need to happen, and then disbanding the meeting. <laughs> like, well, that's the interesting thing though about yeah. with the remote work is that it's so easy to pop in and out that I think yeah, that, that you didn't have to away. collect everybody in one physical place and yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's less it's, of a burden. But I think you know because we, we've we are very comfortable also with with calling into question whether the meeting needs to happen at some point. And this does happen. It's actually the first thing that should happen in every meeting is to first ask, what are we trying to do? 
should we be trying to do this? Yep. Because yep. sometimes the answer is yep. like, oh, we're trying to do this, but we don't actually need to do this right now. So who gives a shit? Put it on the calendar, punch it to next week. We'll figure it out later because like it's not happening. Well, and also we try to we try to operate using the sort of like the the least common denominator situation, which is like if there are two people who are really close to a thing, to a problem, and one person who is tangential to the thing but still related, then the the two people will first discuss the problem. Mm-hmm. And if something has changed, then they will bring in the third person and be like, here's something that's changed. Right. That's it, right? So, uh, yeah, so it, it's basically just about respect and it's sort of about like making sure that you recognize that everybody has different things that they are trying to achieve and different constraints on their time. The meeting should be to the point and as short as possible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's – but they, they also recommended some books because like apparently they interviewed this guy who he's like, I hate meetings. Like just – just fuck me. <laughs> Everything about meetings is garbage. And so he's devoted his life to studying meetings. And he has like nice. mountains of data about meetings. I love and it. He's written books about meetings. That's amazing. <laughs> like, Turn your hatred into like, a meetings. career. Yeah. And uh, and what was it that like in the United States, like uh, f- an estimated 55 million meetings occur each workday, you know? Um, and that the average the average American uh, white collar em- employee has fifteen meetings a week. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, I get it. You know, if each of these things is an hour long or more, you know, it's like. But it wouldn't be weird at all if you had fifteen collaborations a week. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Or fifteen like, discussions a week. It's honestly, right? it's if all, anything, that's yeah. that's almost nothing. Yeah, I think it's. But it's entirely of a, 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 a structural framing and organizational problem where if the tool that you have to cause collaboration to happen is to get more people than is strictly necessary into a room for a predefined period of time, right, then then yeah, then nobody – because now you're not having the collaborations that you actually need and are said doing something else entirely. Um, but it's also the case that a lot of the a lot of the management in these in these cases, they don't view those meetings as, quote, productive work. And so if you – They probably aren't a lot of the time. Right. And so, yeah. So like one of the things that we do when we, when we allocate work for the week is we allocate um, 32 hours of hands-on work, right? Because we assume that about eight hours of your week is going to be figuring shit out and talking to people, aka mm-hmm. meetings, uh, to figure out what to do with the other Responding hours. to emails and an email is just a meeting that's asynchronous. You know? mm-hmm. Right. And so if you, if you say like everybody needs to get 40 hours of hands-on solo productive work done, but also we're going to put you in meetings for 15 hours, then you're just having people work for, for 55 yep. hours. Right? Yep. Uh, so people hate like every aspect of well, it. I know this has um, happened yeah. too when we started studying – DevOps as well because there's it comes from from uh, Toyota too, which is this idea of uh, value add time on a project, and and it's a very specific definition uh, from something like the Toyota way, which is like it's it's actually it is actually like the hands on work time that you do that is that only is the thing that counts as value add, and so everything else is classified as waste. So in other words, a meeting that you have to figure out how to do the thing doesn't count as value add that's until, to me. Yeah, until the thing happens. Yeah, it's, it's, and, yeah, and it's, it's a problem as to how you define the work, right? So, cause, cause the work, if you define the work basically as, as a, as a product itself, like as a, as an entity move, changing from one state into another state, right? If that's how you define the work, then, then that's fair. Right. But the problem is that at some point somebody had to figure out how to convert from one state to another, right? Mm-hmm. And what to convert it into. And what to convert it into. And, and, where the, and, and, then you have to, and then you have to move that chain all the way back to the beginning, right? So 
So there's so how, how can you say that that's not part of yeah. the productive well, and further work. if you want the work to get better over time then that same that same transition state also needs to be constantly analyzed to ask is this being done effectively mm-hmm. do we need to do this at all etc right and as the as the world around you changes every every state change of a of a process uh, always gets to come into question again because the world around it has changed and so so if you pretend that that aspect is not work, that that deciding how transitions occur and then working on making the transition happen, right? It doesn't make any f- – because if, if anything, that's actually the most important part of the work because the rest is automatic. The rest is machines. And if you define the work as what the machines do, right, that doesn't what make are you any even sense. Doing what are you there? optimizing? You should work, just right? quit. What are you even doing there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the first, yeah, the first chat I had with someone about this, they, they said that. They, the guy was like, oh, you know – I was like, oh, how's your day going? And he was like, oh, it's fine. I just don't really like these, you know, non-value add meeting days. And I was like, why aren't why you meetings? meetings? Yeah, I just asked him, I was like, why aren't your meetings adding value? And he was like, oh, no. It's like, you know, we discuss stuff and figure things out, but we haven't, like, added value yet. How was that? And I was like, but you figured out what to do, right? And he was like, yeah, but we haven't done it yet. And I was like. So if you didn't have the meeting, you could do nothing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I. I was like, okay. Because you don't know what to do because you didn't talk about yeah. it. And it's important, of course. And it's not, this it's isn't, crazy. This isn't to make fun of the whole system because it's, it's a good – I mean, it also is, though. I mean, it's a degree. <laughs> but it's also it – is, it's a good way to think about uh, about just time in general, I think, which is to recognize that there's a difference between the hands-on time and then the hands-off time, right? Um, I think the weird one to me is, is assigning value – uh, in a sort of weird moralistic way, onto only one part of the equation, but not the other one. Right? Well, also as we've as we've constantly said, the most valuable thing that you can do is discover that you don't need to do something, mm-hmm. right? And this primarily comes from discussions that you have with other people. And so, I, I, even just last week, there were there were at least three major things that we that between pairs and inside of our team due to collaborations decided that we didn't actually need to do or could do in a way that was way cheaper or whatever, right? Had we not had those discussions to make sure that we understood what the work was, that as the state of the world has been changing, you know, it, it just in the really general sense, which is just that your context is always changing, therefore things need to be reevaluated, that we were reevaluating things. Reevaluating is always best done with more than one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so all of this, you know, this, uh, this non-value add stuff we were doing – Added a lot of value somehow. Like, yeah. So if you take if right? you take fifteen minutes to discuss whether a thirty-hour project is worth doing, yeah. and in fifteen minutes you decide, actually, no, we're just going to delete this and work just on something more it. important. That is how is that highest, value add? That's like the highest leverage thing that yeah. you've done all week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is have a meeting. Uh, anyways, it's. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this too long because we've got lots of other stuff to talk about, but it's fascinating. We're already um, 40 minutes in, actually, 30 minutes in on this thing. So I got 26 on my clock, so we're still good. We got four I just know when I started recording, which was, which was before we started recording, you know. Oh, yeah. I got the stopwatch. I got the magic stopwatch. Okay, good. Uh, all right. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about a couple of, of cool level head things. So one is Delivery League Championship. If you haven't seen this thing, watch it on Twitch. Oh, uh, you, you can – it's it's ongoing through the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it? I think yeah, it may be um, over now. Actually, it's over. It will now. be over by yeah. the time the podcast. Yeah. So yeah. you can't go watch it. But they they had a the last time they had scheduled, I think two. Where they had one and then two weeks later had another one. So uh, I hope they're going to keep doing it. Um, but so if I, you just need to go to their Twitch channel and find out when and subscribe, so you can find out. Yeah. When so the the setup is up. it's a speedrunning competition uh, between basically a bracketed series of of cont- contenders challengers. Uh, and it is so fun to watch. So one is that they set it up uh, 
so I know it's Jadge DP, and then Pure Nix is one of the uh, the I guess we call them shoutcasters. And then, yeah, the talk gibberish, and then spec. There's, there's basically if you've ever been in our Discord and seen who's the most active, and there's sort of all of them are somehow involved yeah. in one way or another. And and, uh, and Retro is also Retrofile TV is also mm-hmm. one of the uh, the announcers, and it's it was. So fun to watch. So they have the screen set up. So it's these two, uh, you know, the games side by side and they're streaming in from uh, these two players who then start at the same time on a series of levels and basically compete with each other just to see who can complete more levels in a, a fixed window of time. Right. And it is absolutely fascinating to watch. And uh, yesterday's match that I watched was between uh, Specchio and Intuition who are, of course, two of the sort of big sort of champions in the in the level head space. And it was just incredible. So if like all of them were just down to the wire and it was ridiculously cool. And the and uh, Retro and Pure Nix, they're they're televised, like tele, what do you call it? Telecasting? I don't know what the chap casting the term is for like just doing the voiceover stuff. Yeah. But it was just hilarious. And like I was loving it. Was, it. it was good. It, it was, was very good. well done. At one point Retro said, and I just bust out laughing, he said – you paid for your seat, but you didn't pay. Or, but I told you, you'd only need the edge. And I was like, yep. "Where you, are you getting this shit? This is amazing." <laughs> and I told some of that afterwards, and like, I'm pretty Which sure. Which is also hilarious, given that nobody paid for their seats. I know it was like the whole thing was just amazing. But actually, so it reminded me of like because basically the production quality that they're able to bring to it with this combination yeah. of things. So I watched. Um, uh, sure had mentioned to us about these marble run videos on YouTube. That apparently like blew up because John Oliver covered them at some point. And all it is, it's literally a racing track that some people set up uh, with a bunch of marbles. And the marbles race around the track like a uh, hundred times like, or whatever. Like, like it, marbles would. Like you know? marbles they, would. But the, what they do is they name each marble. They talk about them as if they're like teams like BMW, Mercedes, Jaguar. And then <laughs> the camera work, incredible. There's yeah, announcers. It's like, it's a, yeah, it's high production value the same way that an actual like car race. Exactly. Would have it. Like they have like the cool like transition faded stuff happening and then like the leaderboards. Like zooming changing. in on stuff. As yeah, and yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll zoom into the audience, which is just a bunch of marbles in seats. Yep. Um, <laughs> like the whole thing is incredible. And so what was funny, like I remember watching. Do they ever say the the audience has just lost their marbles? Oh, yeah. This I mean, I was like, <laughs> but the weird thing is like it's it starts off where you're like, this is kind of silly. But if you watch it, for, like, if you just sit there for more than like two or three minutes, like during that race, you actually start getting invested. Get sucked like, in. Oh, man. And it actually reminded me because I was like, this is, it's funny because like, it's just, it's two people playing a game, right? Um, mm-hmm. But when you put all of that, like the set pieces on there too, uh, especially with the announcing going on, then it becomes, it becomes so an much actual sporting event. Like it was so, like I was, my heart was beating super fast for the last one. And like, you know, it's people pulling stuff off and you're just like, what? Like there was upsets. Like the whole thing was just, I was like, what? This is <laughs> incredible. And on that, on that note, Seth, Seth, what's the, what's the brand of the, of the smart TVs that we got? Cause we just happen to have the same one, but is it an LG? Is that what uh, it is? I think so. I can't remember, but they just, just last week released Twitch as one of the apps. Oh shit. Oh no way. Jay and I saw, cause we, we watched uh AGDQ. Uh, it was an awesome games done quick. And we, we, we had, like we watched it. We ended up watching it from our computers cause we tried watching it like in the TV's browser cause it didn't have Twitch and that uh. was just not good. Uh, so we ended up, so we didn't get to like sit on the couch and watch AGDQ with popcorn the way that we really wanted to, you know, but now but now you Boy, can watch the Deliver League Championship. We can watch the Deliver League Championship. <laughs> and then when summer – assuming summer games done quick still happens this summer, uh, we'll get to like spend the week just fucking – just 
I like it is so fun to watch that stuff and being able to do it like with an actual TV is going to be a blast. So you get the full the full legit experience. Yeah. So for uh, the next actually this is part of it too is that I didn't actually watch I didn't watch the last delivery uh, delivery challenge because it was just it was like on my phone basically. It was just like it was inconvenient enough to do it. Um, that I was just like, oh, I'm not going to. Oh, yeah, man, you'll have a great right, time. But, Next time it's worth yeah, it. So making an event out of it with on my, on my couch with my TV was going to be – I'm very excited about it. Yeah, get out of the way. Sunday night football or whatever the, yeah, the hell it is. Delivery champion – delivery yeah. league? What's it called? Delivery, delivery league championship. Delivery league championship. The DLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in other level head news, we are wrapping up production on the patch. We've got tons of stuff. Um, I think since we last – since we last talked about it, we've got the canoodle in there. We've got item spawners now, which is probably our top requested yep. feature ever, which is basically it's an item that you can tell it to continually make new items. So you want keys for doors. You want – we've already had bombs, but now we can Let's do that too. as well. Yeah. Um, uh, enemy drops, uh, power-ups, Well, importantly, I, w- I want to talk about something that happened with the item beepers. And a new, uh, well, it's a philosophy we've had in the studio, but that's becoming more, uh, I guess, almost more concrete or structural these days, which is uh, we actually were going through the list of things to get to wrap up the update. And the item beamer was, you know, we talk about leverage and stuff. It looked like it was going to take basically the entire rest of all of development to do. Um, it was like a minimum eight hour of, of programming time project. Yeah. And the thing is, with where Estimated. we're at, yeah, with where we're at with with the the update, there was also a bunch of this art to integrate, a bunch of bugs to fix, and so that that eight hours becomes extremely costly uh, and very hard to to say like yes or no to. Hard uh, to justify. I, hard to justify. And I think it was actually I think it was actually set for sixteen hours um, originally. Yeah. And so so we actually cut it. We cut it on Wednesday of last week. Uh, because we had a chat, and we're like, we do, we literally don't have time to get this done, to get this thing localized, and actually get this patch out. You know, it's just not, it, it's going to be a can of worms. And so we cut it that night. That night, I get an alert on Monday, and it's like, Seth has marked item beamers is done. And I was like, what? We just talked about not doing. It. <laughs> and so, it was at like five thirty. So it was like a half hour yeah. after the workday. I, think was I went done. for a run, came back, I was like, fuck. Um, and so what had happened was. Because it is such a requested feature, Seth was like, well, I mean, I'm going to go look at it. I'm just going to go look and just see what it actually is in terms of like time. And what you found was essentially uh, that you had already done most of the work because of some other changes that we had done for other reasons previously. Yeah. The, the original bomb beamer, which is what this thing was, which is now it's just a beamer, right? But the, the original bomb beamer was actually set up very flexibly, uh, but like a year and a half ago. And those systems have grown to become better and more flexible in the intervening year and a half without me even noticing. <laughs> small incremental changes because of other needs. And so yeah. And so actually what happened was uh, Seth basically walked into it, uh, finished it in like half an hour, which I know will horrify basically every one of our players who was like, you tell <laughs> yeah. me we were half an hour away. <laughs> it yes, literally was. We were half hour no, away. No, it was, it was 15 minutes. <laughs> and then it was <laughs> – uh, and then it was 15 minutes of just like playing around with it in the game to just to verify that it was working. But yeah, yeah it was legit 15 minutes yeah. of program. But, it, but we <laughs> did, did any problems come out in QA? Uh, with the there were there's always there were there was about another 15 minutes worth of bug yeah, fixes. Yeah, nothing big. Yeah. So this, but this is one of those things yeah. where um, so the the phrase we use for it internally in the studio now is is the concept of poking the fan. 
So if you have what appears – so a thing that you really want or need to do uh, but that appears to just like when you're thinking about how big of a project it is, just seems like it is going to be a huge pain in the ass or just a monumental thing. Uh, that before instead you of, write it off. Yeah, before you just, completely write it off, you poke it. And what we mean by poke is it's literally like a 15 to 20-minute investigation. Like, just get your hands in there in and there, just try start, to – Just start doing it mm-hmm. and see – See where you end yeah, up. And this came – you might be done. And this came from the story of, of Adam's bedroom fan, which had started making a noise. And mm-hmm. he looked at it and he was like, oh, man, that's going to be – that's just going to be a thing. I'm not going to fuck with that. to hire somebody to come in or like take it apart and see if I can figure out how to mm-hmm. fix it or whatever. I just left the fan blah, blah, off blah. for six months. Yep. Because like – And then uh, – We could do. Yeah. And then one day I turned it back on. It was still making that noise. I was like, god damn it. I, just, I stood up on the foot of the bed and I just pushed it a little bit. Just like pushed the fan. It stopped. <laughs> it's fine now. So okay. it hasn't hasn't been back since six months of not having a fan because you didn't poke it. You know, uh, probably nine. Yeah, months. I don't know what that says about like the the mental overhead of it. It, it is the case that that when you start to imagine um, something that you don't want to have to do, right? Yeah. You tend to really. Blow it out of proportion because even Adam, when you were like, "Oh, I'm gonna like have to hire somebody to fix it," and, and like that's literally that's the end of the sentence. Yeah, that would have been the one thing that you would have had to <laughs> well, do. No, but no, but the first step <laughs> is finding somebody yeah. who you can right. trust. Because this is because this is the real problem with home ownership is finding a trustworthy person to do the work. Yeah. Right? right, that's the right. real problem. Right, um, but yeah, it's uh, e- even taken. that. Even that, it's not like a no, insurmountable weekend. No, that's project. like that's like an hour of researching yeah. on you know, yeah, on the internet. Yeah, so now yeah. if we if we're approaching one of these uh, one of these items, we're like, we really want this. Like everybody really wants it, or or it's just a thing that we're we just it's we're curious about it. Even if it looks like it's going to be thirty hours of work, then now there's actually a there's a structured way we could talk about it because we can be like, why don't we just poke the fan on it? Take twenty minutes, go poke the fan. If it seems good. Then we can update it. We can actually go on it. If it seems like you were definitely right, it's going to take too long, then actually we'll just cancel it, <laughs> right? But yeah, which just kind of speaks to just that like, yeah, your, your estimates are just going to be emotional and wrong until you've started doing the work and are basing the estimate yes. on the actual work, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's been pretty interesting. Uh, we, we are not going to say anything specific about when the level head patch is going into uh, beta testing. We are going to be setting it off for localization soon, but it's it's nearing the the end of the development cycle. So, uh, so just keep an eye on the Discord, and we'll have some information about it. Um, all right, now before we talk, before we go into uh, questions, I wanted to take some time to talk about Crashlands Two because we said we were going to talk about it last episode and we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I want to take no, like we, ten we, minutes, and we barely gave ourselves any time to do it this time. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, we're we're already forty minutes into this episode. Um, but I think I think this is worth talking about. Um, we can go over ten minutes just to just to so we could go we could go over time just a little bit. Uh, okay, so Crashlands Two. We we've spoken in the past about like this is our this is our next game that we want to make, um, and we wanted to kind of make sure that we talk about on the podcast just what our mental state is about this, uh, why we're doing the things we're doing, and, and what kinds of things we're thinking about because I think it's just a good like historical archive. Mm-hmm. Well, and also you know, it's, it's to good to, to talk about uh, in, ter- in terms of, say you want to make a game, yep. right? Uh, what, what, what game? What are you thinking about? Why? What, like what, what, yeah. yeah, what goes into to discuss Because the, the, the investment to, to make it, so you know, think about Levelhead, right? Levelhead took us two years plus, uh, you know, 
plus for about half of that time, three full-time employees, and the other half, uh, six full-time employees, plus another six part-time employees, right? Yep. Plus localizing into six languages, all these contractors, et cetera. Like, Shoots expensive. The amount of work and money that went into making Levelhead is fucking enormous. And, and so we set on that path two years ago, right? And, uh, and then we had whatever discussions we had at that time about whether or not to pull the trigger on investing that much time into, into something like that. And we know that from, from here on out, we, you know, we've, done the, we've looked around and, and one of the big conclusions we had was that the cost to launch a game is always very high, right? So you don't you don't get a lot out of making a really small title and being like, well, this will be cheap if we do it this way because you still have to launch it and that's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so no matter what, it's really expensive to launch a game. And so before you just go off, you know, and pull the trigger, the question is, why? What are we yeah. What are we trying to do here? And like, and is this a good idea to set us on a path for the next two or three years? Yes. Yeah. Well, this this speaks to the the four P's of marketing. Which is like this is in the the core fundamentals. If you take a, a marketing business class, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, product, price, place, and promotion. So, yep. just like what is the thing? Uh, how much does it cost? Where is it? And how are you telling people about it? Right? And how do people know it's there? And people often talk about marketing just as like spending ad money, just the but, promotion but, part. Yeah, right. But the most the most fundamental basic aspect of marketing is what the fuck are you even selling? What are you <laughs> yeah, making? Yeah. Um, and, and is it the right thing at the right time? Because like, you, you might have made an incredible game, but it might be ahead of its time or it yeah. might be behind its time. Yep. Right? We've also all uh, been, you know, even outside of the game space, we've all been on those websites where you get on it and you're like, I don't understand what this is. Like, mm-hmm. what am I buying here? You right. know? Like, like, you, like you open up Google Stadia and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's like I'm Stadia... So- yeah, say, say there's why? a question of why. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. but like, I know what, right? But but there, if we go back to our prior conversation about all the people reaching out trying to get us to buy stuff from them, you know, um, it's 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 almost always impossible to tell actually what it is you would be buying. Just period. Not even why. You didn't even get to that step. It's just I don't even know what, you know. Yeah. Right. So the, so the thing has to be understandable and comprehensible um, to the people who are who you're trying to get to to buy it, um, and it also needs to fit. In the context in which people need it, and all and all that yeah, stuff. Importantly, so, once once you're on a team that you believe the team can execute whatever it wants to execute, which is sort of where I believe we're at now. If we said, "Oh, we're going to go make this," I'm pretty sure we would make that thing. Then, actually, the making of the thing becomes less of a uh, strategic concern than choosing the correct thing to make, right? Yes. And what that means is that you and have the, to And the making of it comes into account because it's the cost question of how much mm-hmm. is it going to cost to actually pull this up. Yeah. Um, but so we got to do is take a step back. So basically when, when it comes to uh, you know deciding on something like Crash Science 2 for the next game, so we do a number of, of things that I, I would highly recommend anybody who's, who's thinking about uh, you know trying to do this professionally do, which is to – one is to think about the sort of game that you're making and look at what genres it occupies. Uh, because we know that people, customers uh, in, in the in the game space tend to be uh, genre focused. So, for example, if you make a game um, in a I don't know, like a puzzle genre or something like that, um, you can go look at stuff like Steam tags and see you know have there have there been games in the last twelve months that have released in under that genre that have done well? Um, how many are, are there any coming? Are there any coming up that you should keep an eye on? Uh, all this stuff. And basically, what you do there is you try to get an idea of like what is the actual market size potential for for the game both in terms of players and competitors Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, once you do that, then you you should be able to say, okay, yeah, so either it looks like this is going to be a good idea to go into the space or going into the space would be more difficult than doing something else, right? Uh, and so what we do then is we line up not just that question, but we basically line up as many of the assumptions as we have about basically our capabilities, about the future and about how things work in the industry first. And then we go do a bunch of research to prove or disprove those things. It's supposed to be on both sides of the coin. So in Yeah. So like so what would be an example of an assumption we made with for Crashlands two? Yeah, would be that sequels do better than the first game does. In other words, sequels are a good idea. On, on right? average. Yeah, on average. Um, yeah. and Which so, turns out to not be true upon research. Yeah. Not always true. Uh, definitely not always true. Um, and in fact – Especially especially in the indie space. Yeah, especially in the indie space. And and actually when it comes to sequels, like a lot of times the, the total value you end up deriving from it is a combination of the sequel selling and actually the first game getting a huge boost because of the sequel coming out. Um, so it can still be actually, it still is worth it in terms of, it still is typically worth it in terms of the overall revenue increase. But in terms of your, if you're just narrowly looking specifically at sequel and expecting that a sequel is going to like massively outsell the previous title, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to be disappointed. Yes. Unless statistically speaking, unless, uh, you do things like the, all of the examples where this is not true is where, uh, where the game essentially was changed in form in some way to essentially open it up to a new audience, right? So in other words, you're not just selling to the same crowd uh, as you sold your original game to, um, but rather you're actually opening it up a bit more. So uh, this is this to me is the um, uh, Fallout 2 versus Fallout 3. Yeah. Right? Because Fallout 3 was the first 3D Fallout game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original Fallout games were successful, but also I had personally had never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. As a as an avid gamer, I, I had never heard either. of the Fallout games. I only until heard of Fallout because 3. Sam played Fallout Three and then told me about it. That's yeah. the only only way I knew about it. Right. Um, and so, or like, I think Risk of Rain is also a, a yeah, good example, example. Where like their their first game was you know it was a pixel art two D uh, uh, shooty bullet hell roguelike mm-hmm. kind of a thing, um, and then they they pulled it into the three D space. And so then the question is like, what do you do for the sequel that that capitalizes on the excitement of the original crowd well, who liked the first of, game. Yeah, but also why was the original successful? Because that's yep. part of that. So that's the thing you, right. you need to really know, right? Yeah, because yep. if your original, original was successful, successful because you, you kickstarted it and formed a community around it or whatever, right? Then that means that your audience for who you're selling it to is actually your Kickstarter audience, not so you, not the Steam audience or whatever. So you right? better be Kickstarted exactly. again, buddy, you know? Yeah, yeah. better get Kickstarted again or whatever. Like, <laughs> you have to make sure you understand – because if you don't know why your players liked the first one and, and where they are and who they are, uh, and you often don't, right? If you, but if you don't know that, then there's no way that you can be confident that that you can basically reach them again and also broaden the appeal in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you're talking about that for Crashlands 2, like what does that mean for us? Yeah. So for us, it means, uh, it means basically what we did – what we've done in the past already is we did a, a reviews review, which basically was we looked at all the critical reviews for the game, read them, reread them. Uh, and then looked at the Steam reviews and the Google reviews and basically tried to just dig out like, okay, what is this hitting for people? What is What do it? people like about it? What don't they like yep. about it? And then and yeah. then we just make those things that we find the actual pillars of the game going forward, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the interesting thing about, about sequels is like you have to thread that line of, of – uh, as far as how you signal it. I think that's the really nice thing about doing something like upping the art style or throwing it into 3D or something um, 
is that it signals such a big change that people are totally fine with a lot of other changes that sort of come along with that fact, right? Because it's like, well, you know, it's in 3D or, or oh, yeah, the, like the graphics are very different looking. Um, yeah, the game can be fundamentally different now, yeah. right? It's, it's one of the things like it doesn't work if you go from, you know, a fall, like in the Fallout franchise, if you jump to making it an MMO, because it, it looks the same, right? Mm-hmm. So like the graphical style is the same. Like yes. the universe is the same. The characters are the same. The equipment, like everything is the same, except now it's an MMO, which which necessarily removed some components. Like they're being – It has to be different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, – and so if you if you make that – if you make a trade-off in a way that doesn't doesn't work because you haven't substantially changed things enough, right, then – then you end up basically going backwards instead of mm-hmm. going forward. But, but in this case of Crash, it's that like question of you know who are our players and where are they? Uh, I think a lot of the success of, of Crashlands came down to uh, all the all the good treatment we got from press and from streamers and from the stores. Mm-hmm. We also know that the stores behave differently now than they used to, and so when it comes to like mobile, uh, everyone we got really yeah. yeah everyone. But in the case of mobile in particular, the we we got and we're able to. to you know, it wasn't guaranteed, but we were we were all pretty confident that we would get good featuring treatment on those and the on the stores, and that it would mean something and mean something important. Uh, and that's actually kind of gone away um, mm-hmm. for mobile in general, but but uh, but Apple in particular because of just how fundamentally they changed how featuring works on on their store. And so so that now we know that we actually can't count on that the same way we could with the original mm-hmm. to to re to re reach the same original audience as well as to reach a new audience. Which means we'd have to ask a question. Okay, so so part of the leverage you get of a sequel, which is if people who played the original see it, then they would be into it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't get to count on anymore for certain places, you know, for for certain stores, uh, and so that means that if this is what we're going to do, we have to identify where we can count on that and understand where we can't, and then figure out how much that matters and how we make up the difference. And right. so, in the case of Crashlands, we we think we want to be focusing on business partnerships um, mm-hmm. to try to. Build guarantees where basically we and our and our partner, we have the stores or our publishers or whoever, right? That we all have the same interests. Actually, everything is aligned perfectly so that we can still get that visibility that we need to get for the for the mm-hmm. game to be successful. Yes, there's all this stuff that we end up uh, like checking out, and the, the whole point is just to to actually lay your assumptions out there about about how things work and why this the current sort of vague idea you have about making the game the way you're going to make it or the game making the game uh, in the first place is a good idea and then actually just like try to attack them. And so mm-hmm. I spent basically a couple of days last week uh, putting together this meant to be like a 20 page report. It's a 20 page document. But this this is something that I think is is a really important practice to learn and, and engage in. And it's an uncomfortable one for people who aren't familiar with it, which is yeah, – You don't want to try to justify what you're doing. You want to try to poke holes in it. That's you want to you want to basically yeah you want to play devil's advocate to yourself so you say like here are the twenty things that I that I believe are important about this decision I'm going to make and here are the things that I believe are true <clears throat> now I'm going to go prove myself wrong right I'm <laughs> yeah. going to go find yeah. I'm going to go find all of the reasons why I could be wrong about these things um, and I'm not going to hedge it. You know, I'm not going to be yeah. like, well, here's what I think is true. And some people think that maybe this isn't right, but I still think that. Yeah, like, ideally, no. <laughs> ideally, you should come away – like the goal is actually to turn over some of the assumptions. Like that's literally actually what the goal is in some ways because it's like – And then you evaluate how much that matters. Yes. Yeah, right? that, that's actually the main goal is to, is, to, is to understand where all your dependencies are and how big of a deal is if you're wrong about it. I think if we, if we were to think – because we actually didn't do this very, very deeply for Levelhead. 
And if you look at there, there was a core assumption that we made with Levelhead um, that, that was wrong as fuck. That was wrong as fuck, and that we didn't <laughs> fully evaluate the consequences of, which was that the Mario Maker, basically, not even that Mario Maker wouldn't launch, but that was a core assumption of ours that we would get out before Mario, a, a new Mario Maker came out. But that there, but that the Mario Maker audience that they were that basically that there was an audience already out there for this game, right? For this uh, kind of a for game. For this kind of game. And that, that was actually the problem, which was that this kind of game doesn't exist. There's there's just Mario Maker. And Mario Maker is a Mario game first and a Maker game second, right? And uh, and that was the thing that we did not we didn't we did fully not grapple fully, with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, we didn't fully grapple with it. We didn't, and we didn't ask that question. What what? How big of a deal is it if um, – if Mario Maker Two comes out, yeah, because this right. is a different thing. Because it's like one, there's one to do a competitor's analysis, right? Like that's the thing you should yeah. always do. It's smart, you know. Like what what are the other games in the space? What are they doing? What's their size? How big of a sway do they have? But like you, you, I think the the folly we had was treating Nintendo as like a standard competitor in this context. When in reality, like Mario is like it's like Mickey Mouse, like. You cannot touch compete. the mouse. <laughs> it doesn't compete. <laughs> you know? but it's, not, it's not just that. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like Star Wars, right? It lives in its own market. Yes. So it's it's not even that you don't compete and you can't compete. It's that there's no such that the concept of competition is is irrelevant, right? Because mm-hmm. there, because there, there is like you can't compete inside of a market in, in which you can't be, right? That's yeah. just not how anything works. Well, this is what we saw is like um, it it turned out that that if you look at the the uh, reviews and the and the comments from professional uh, game reviewers and stuff. Um, it, it was 100% impossible for any of them to just talk about level head mm-hmm. by yeah. on its own. Yeah, right? we, we were too close they, basically. Yeah. They, they had to talk about it in the context of, of how it was similar or different to Mario maker. And it was the only way in which people were able to talk about it such that by launching this game, you know, we advertised for, for Mario maker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like we got people to, to talk more about this other game by launching our game. Um, and yeah, so it's basically it was, because we launched a game into, into a, a genre that wasn't well established yet. And so, well, the interesting thing though is, I mean, we, we did this with, so Crashlands went up against don't starve in a big way yeah. back in the day and not intentionally. Cause like they're actually extremely different games, but they have a similar yeah. uh, sort of top down cartoonish situation going on. And, and that was also a little weird because we, we thought they were so different. Um, but they clearly weren't actually signaling that they were like Crashlands did not signal in a really strong way from a visual aesthetic that it was mm-hmm. very different from uh, Don't Starve. But importantly, Don't Starve had only been out for a couple of years. It's, this is not Nintendo we're talking about, right? So like the, it's another it's another indie studio. Yeah, um, it was a juggernaut in terms of uh, it was a successful title. But in terms of the the sort of uh, intensity of the fan base, it was not the case that we had people playing Crashlands and being like, "Oh, I feel like I'm cheating on Clay right now." Yeah, literally, yeah, yeah, right. Nothing said. like that at all. Um, and so it's a it's a very different thing. And I think and nobody needed because it's something you'll even see in our own Discord too. Is like is is there are some people who come in who who actually like just they need level head to be quote unquote better than Mario Maker. Like they need that to be true, or the opposite to be true, mm-hmm. right? They they need one of them to be better than the other, right? Versus being able just to have two games that that you're in right. right? yep. <laughs> that you like. Well, this was not the case with Crashlands and Don't Starve because those games were so fundamentally different. That it didn't make sense to be like you could like one more than the other, sure, but you wouldn't say that one was better than the other one because they were different things, mm-hmm. right? And so, so that part of the whole like tribal nature of the of the competition was just absent. Mm-hmm. And this comes to yeah. a big question of like when you're the game you're looking at building in terms of in terms of the genre you're going into, is it the case that people who play that genre of game 
play multiple games in the genre? Or yeah. do they or is it a or is there only one? Yeah. Is this a League of Legends? Is it a yep. Mario Maker? Is it a Counter Strike? Right? Yep. Like what are you going up against? Um because the thing about juggernauts is you can't stop them. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. You just you will only be crushed underneath them. Yep. Um and, and I mean one of the like like Adam was saying, you know, our core subject coming in was like there's a hole in the market here. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because the because Mario Maker the original was on the Wii U, which was one of the least popular consoles ever made. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, that still like managed to make it to the mainstream, um, and uh, and it had an incredibly dedicated fan base who were very familiar with this this concept of like building and sharing uh, uh, platformer levels, and so so we were looking at it. We we're like, there's no indication that the, that a sequel is coming. There's a hole in the market. We think we think we can scoop up these people. But I think right? the important thing is even if even if Mario Maker Two hadn't come out, um, we still don't know if it would have. It yeah. still probably would have been the same problem, which is just that the Mario Maker Two players were not looking for a new a new game. platformer builder. Yeah. Yeah. Platformer and this is sort of the, yeah. <laughs> this is the interesting thing about about trying to make a hobby game. That competes against a specific another hobby game. Other. So this, you see this MMO, yeah. right? Um, I do want to say though, just to make sure we ground this conversation effectively, that uh, that levelhead in terms of the player base is still okay, fine. Yeah, there's like I yeah, mean, we're still yeah, in the hundreds of thousands of yeah. players. <laughs> it's still okay, but, it, but it's, it's fine. but it's what we're talking about here is is the the difficulty we've had in getting streamers to. Yeah. Decouple from Mario Maker to cover Levelhead, or from press to talk about Levelhead just as its own thing. Yeah, well, even um, just the absence of press coverage, right? Uh, which, which, yeah, we we did get some press happened, coverage, yeah. but almost, but yeah. almost none. And I think a lot of that has to do with just no nobody's looking for a game like this, right? And if and the so the only way they can understand it is in relationship to Mario Maker, and then. We're not Nintendo, and so then who gives a shit? Right? Yeah. So I think that's right. kind of so, that's kind of what's going to happen when it comes to when it comes to coverage. Yeah. So the intent right. here, as far as uh, as far as Crashlands Two is concerned, is to try to be as, uh, I guess, b- brutal in a sense with our assumptions going in. Try not to be naive, I guess, because I feel like even saying like, oh yeah, there's no indication that uh, Mario Maker Two is going to come out. It's like, well, I mean. The Switch had been selling very well at that by that point for yeah. a year, and it was now their most. Why would they console. not? Why, and, and why would we also they knew not? was yeah. We also knew is like a lot of people bought Wii U's only so that they could play yeah. original Mario Maker, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So like clearly it was a it was a driver exactly. of console sales. If we thought about uh, it for maybe well, like another thirty seconds, may have been like. Uh, <laughs> right. but, even, but even that, like part of part of our belief was that we could just that because we'd heard nothing about it, that we could get our game done fast enough that it wouldn't actually matter because we'd be out first, right? But that was that was one of those things too, which is you actually can't you can't plan around how long you think it's going to take to make your product yes. because you don't know. And so if you're trying to get in under a wire, right? If you're if you're trying to like if you're trying to beat somebody else to market, um, then you need to know without a doubt that you can actually beat that thing to market because because beating some other competitor to the market is always like it's one of the most important and essential strategies you can have for for a, a type for a product type, mm-hmm. right? Because the competitor advantage is always fucking enormous, or the, the first mover advantage, right? And so if you're if you are the second mover on a thing you directly compete with, you're basically always toast. Yeah. And so if you're if the if your requirement for your success is that you beat somebody else in time, yeah, it's, uh, you got to be damn sure you can pull that off. Yeah. Like really, really sure you can pull that off. Yes, yeah, so it's been a fascinating uh, couple of days. I've been doing the the research largely for all this stuff after we had a a big meeting, which by the way was very fun and very good. Um, 
And it was out, very productive. Very productive. Laying out all these assumptions um, and then basically just going in and attacking the shit out of them afterwards. Um, it also gave me a bunch of clarity on what on to me on what the the differentiating factors are. Because you have to you have to know that about the next game you're gonna make. Like you you shouldn't just make a, a thing that anybody would call generic in the sense, if that makes sense. Um, like it, it needs to be able to so if I if I told you what it was, it wasn't one just a bunch of genres slapped together because that doesn't help me too much. But if it if you can tell me a sentence about it that I'm like, oh yeah, and it would be that specific game. Like I can think about it in a way that makes it it's that one. Um, it's given me some clarity as far as like the messaging, and then also actually to me, it's in, it's informing the design in, in, in a lot of ways, which is what we should actually focus on a bit more this time around um, than in previous times. It's designed for market fit instead Correct. of. Because with Crashlands, we basically made a game and then tried to find a way to fit it into the market. Yes. Right. We got lucky. We yeah, got, and we got lucky. And yeah, uh, yeah. And so so here we're trying to do it exactly the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I'm stoked. So, so yeah, lots of stuff we're thinking about. Um, and as, as we move into production, um, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to talk about it in terms of, of uh, what we're going to show and when. You know, are we going to do dev blogs? Are we going to make videos? Are we going to be silent for six well, months? Will, <laughs> there be, will there be early access? Will we like we have we have no idea yeah. what the development we don't know. Process um, like. So we're we're just going to try to as we go through the through the podcast week by week. Um, you know, we're just going to try to do a decent job of just like getting our mental state out there about like what is going on with this and what are we thinking about because it's it's kind of cool to be able to go back and look and and evaluate. Um, you know, the decisions we were making in our mindset and stuff. Um, all right. So uh, let's move on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question comes from a beaky boppa boop who says, can you do the podcast in reverse? Start with the credits, then questions, then news, then the intro, and then the swear warning. Thanks. <laughs> I wish we could put the swear warning at the end. For like- nowhere. Yeah, we definitely could yeah. do it in reverse, but the question is why? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes you just got it's twenty blundy, Adam. You just got to mix it up. You never it's know not what's going to happen. That's just reversed. It's like it's, it's twenty. Somehow, it's somehow the opposite of mixing. I guess if we change the name of twenty, actually, you know what? Let's go back, which would be a pretty <laughs> actually, good yeah, name let's. for the year. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let's put this shit in reverse. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting. We've gone too far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me, hurricane season starts June first. Just, so. just buckle up. It's uh, just throw that sh- throw that shit on there. Stay safe, people. Yeah. Uh, yep. Evacuate if if it calls for it. Uh, anyway, as far as the swear, I've always been kind of ambivalent about this swear warning because I've I've been of the opinion for most of my life because I remember being in second grade. I said shit when so, like something happened, mm-hmm. and then our dad our dad started laughing. Because it's hilarious when like a nine year old says shit, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, "Where'd you hear that?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, where, "I mean, where did you?" I'm like, "I hear from every person, <laughs> like every place and person on the earth has used this word." Uh, who speaks English anyway? Uh, and uh, he's like, "Oh, he's like, what else do you know?" You know, start talking about start, start talking about swears, and of course. I have heard. I've heard everything. I'm nine. I've got ears. I've heard it. Mm-hmm. Right, but you're supposed to pretend like you you haven't, haven't heard. Now, what what is the goal? 
I don't know. Who are we protecting from? Well, no, I think, well, there's I important. I don't know. No, no, there's an important one here, which is we are protecting the power of swear words. Because the, their power is the fact that you're not supposed to say them. That's true. So, They're the secret magic. That's the sanctity. Yeah, that's actually your job as a parent is to, is to drill into your kids. You're not supposed to say this. But also make sure they hear it because it's mm-hmm. going to be awesome once they start saying it. <laughs> is this is this kind of like a frozen situation where those those shitty terrible parents are like they you're not allowed to them. use your powers and so then you know for and then we're going to shut you in your room mm-hmm. in other words not let you not let you say swear words right in public yeah uh, for your entire fucking child and then yep fraction of your adult life so <laughs> as a consequence of child. this <laughs> you don't know how to use your magic safely and so then you get out in the world. You and now you're using it. Now you're hurting people. Now you're right? hurting because people. You're getting depressed because everybody thinks you're a monster. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. god, Frozen yeah. is just an allegory for cursing. Yes. <laughs> I think so. The question is then: is 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 our parents really doing? You know, are you doing something good by preventing your children from swearing, or are you make basically making it so that once you go down in that ship and your child everyone left alone, everyone has this going power. to destroy the the town that you live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone is born with this power, you know, Everyone. To, to swear. Uh, and and if you misuse the power, you will bring harm to others. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still you on know, board see, with the- See, like, see every single online competitive game, you know? Yeah. yeah. Those, those fucking kids were never taught how to swear properly. These like, kids- They were like, oh, we just swear <laughs> at people? We're just, we're just mean? That's, that's what swearing is for? I'll oh, use perfect. my frost magic- to bring ruin and devastation to the yeah, community. Yeah, <laughs> nobody ever taught me better because we just weren't allowed. We just weren't allowed to talk about it. Yeah, you didn't get to make a cool latte with your frost magic, a frappuccino. You know, you didn't get to yeah. make some ice cream for people. No, no one's enjoying no. this. You're just devastating yeah, the crops, you're just ruining lives. Ugh. So, so I, I think I, w- I want to make sure that we that we update our swear warning to be that this podcast contains positive swearing. Yeah, you know, this is we want to be good role models for the kids. <laughs> well, in a real That's way, true, right? Which is in like, a real way because parents aren't going to do yeah, it. Apparently, yeah. apparently they're going to learn it. Yeah, apparently they're going to learn it somewhere. Yeah. That's the thing. So if you're if you're a parent listening to this podcast and you've been trying to, and you've been keeping your kids away, you're like, don't let them listen. Just to it. don't let them listen to it. They're hearing these words elsewhere in a far less constructive and constrained way. They're not. They're not. Lear- they're already doing. This is already happening, mm-hmm. right? They have the power. They already have the power, and they're only using it irresponsibly right now, outside of your presence. Yep. That's, that is That's what right. is happening, right? So they're testing it. They're you testing need to their have, strength. <laughs> yeah, they're testing their strength. You need to have them listen to this podcast so they can learn. By example, we're basically like the, means, the Frost Mages Council. Okay, you need to let us know your children have these powers, <laughs> so we can the guide swear, their the swear mage. Yeah, yes. we need to we need to guide their ascent into you know. We are yeah, swear we are wizards. easily level sixty swear mages, Easy. and you're bringing in these these like level one swear mage noobs who just don't know. They don't have any shit. talent points yet or anything. No, gotcha. they they would expect into anything. All they're all they're specking <laughs> into is the random shit that they're. Friends are specking into. Which, by the way, know? is terrible. Guaranteed. They're learning this from the internet and from online competitive games. Mm-hmm. They haven't they haven't learned about the meta. You know, they need to yeah. they need to pick up some guides. Mm-hmm. They need learn to learn about the properly. universe a bit more. Yeah. You bring exactly. them into mid max. A diamond ranked swearing team over here at Butterscotch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll carry your we'll carry your noob all the way up the ladder. Okay. For this yeah. ranked season. Yeah, yep. you got to learn how to use these powers. But this is actually, this is actually important, right? Because this is this is what our this is what our dad did. He he basically told us like 
people out in the world, they don't understand, you know, because all, all they can do is they say swear words bad, right? And so you're going to get into trouble. And so the thing you think you got to you got to realize is that these words have a kind of power. And so you have to understand what that power is, how to use it responsibly, and in what context it is or is not okay, right? And and so he taught us that. It's really like this is this this is also sex education. It's the same fucking. Concept, it's an abstinence right? only. Right. <laughs> abstinence. Currently, we have abstinence only swearing, which is, as we all know, is the most insane way to teach anything is to not teach it, right? Yeah. Just and to so, pretend like it's not there and be like, don't do it. Yeah, yeah and, and by we all, I mean, unfortunately, way too few people uh, actually know this. Yeah. But but as as every study has ever shown, there you go with so. with any kind of an abstinence only program, which doesn't have to be even about sex, just anything where you're like. I know how I'm going to solve this problem by pretending it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Or by forcing as, my children you, to lie to me about it. Yes. Yeah, and force my children to learn how to be good liars, which they'll also do if you teach them not to swear because they're swearing. All the time. They're just not swearing around. As soon as you, you leave, they're So like, you don't know what they're swearing about. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you know but what your kids are swearing least, about? <laughs> but at least you are – at least you are – as a parent, at least you are protected in your own yes, bubble from true. knowing – about the from monsters, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're basically living in ignorance of this monster. Yeah, exactly. So yes, yeah, teach the, your kids about sex. Teach your kids about swears. Be uh, the we guiding don't, we hand. We don't teach sex. Yeah, we don't teach sex ed here, but we will teach about swears. So yep, definitely. Listen, definitely everybody has power. Everybody yeah. has power, and knowledge allows them to use it for good and not destroy each other with and it. Ignorance allows so. them to use it for evil. Mm-hmm. That's right. Fuck Bring it out it. to the light. Fuck evil. You know, yeah. fuck evil. <laughs> put, that on a, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Once again, using profanity f- for the power of good. <laughs> All right, let's see. Sam, this reminds me. <sighs> Sam had a shirt. Sam had a shirt that, while, while oh, he yeah. was actively going through chemo and clearly had no hair, no eyebrows, mm-hmm. whatever. Sam had a shirt that was just a black shirt, and then in white. Big Bold letters. letters in the front. It just said "fuck cancer," right? No one ever and, complained. And, in fact, no people would just come up. They were like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I, they're like, yeah. "I get it." Yeah, agreed. Because yeah. in that context, everyone's like, "I can let my 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 belief that this uh, that the word fuck should not be written in public. Mm-hmm. I can let that slide in this context because it has power here." You know. Now, of course, if like if you're walking in through the supermarket or something and a parent sees your shirt and they're like, how dare you put that in public? And then you could just respond and be like, I'm sorry, do you do you support cancer? (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying that I should not be? I didn't just wear it like to a playground. You know what I mean? No, because yeah, because Sam knows better. Because that would be irresponsible. It's not using the power. Swears appropriately. Sam was trained how to swear properly. He's a level 60 swear man. Yeah. I went into an <laughs> I went into an insurance company with that shirt on. That's what I That's did. That's true. Because you people entered a, a bridge tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man, really, really, <laughs> really that shirt should have said "fuck health insurance." Is what that <laughs> I mean, yeah. Also, because now it becomes well, a protest because it gets the power of the words. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's just that's just encompassed in "fuck evil" on that shirt. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. All that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question comes from <laughs> Under Scrum Rompy Yerbly, who says, "What are your tips?" to finishing all facets of a game as a solo developer. I am a solo indie dev doing everything, programming, art, sound, mm, etc. Cool. In my spare time, after my 9-to-5 job is over, I'm done with 95% of programming, and I'm now going to work on the aesthetics. But the biggest thing is time. I can't afford to use Fiverr much, so to like contract out, mm-hmm. um, and wanted to know recommendations for solo devs trying to do it all. So first note is... 
Congratulations on being done with the first 95% of your programming because well, 95% the next, left. The next 95% <laughs> is going to take just as long. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, Especially because if you're, as quote, you, unquote, just working on aesthetics because yes. that's the most important part, actually, yep. it turns because out. Because your visuals are going to require um, implementation and uh, a lot – it's going to look juicy and good, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of that, that aesthetic work comes in the form of developing programmatic systems to like make your buttons squish and like add shaders for things to flash and particle effects. Well, so I think that's, that's kind of um, an answer to the question in a way, which is that you can, you can get away with not, with not being, quote, unquote – Skilled at art um, by following a couple of, of rules, basically, which is uh, get a color scheme. And when I say get yes. one, I mean find a picture you like. Uh, go Grab the s- eyedropper. Grab the eyedropper and pick like six colors across the range. Or just go to one of those color scheme websites and just fucking pick color.adobe.com. There's literally just yep. swatches. Just just take one of those. If you, if you think – if you feel weird about it, don't. That's Remember – they didn't invent the color. They, it was already out there, mm-hmm. right? They just put them together in a nice way you so just, you could just, just take, take it. it. Because you know what? You're right. You don't have time to deal with color theory bullshit. We've got time for that. So grab one. If you need more colors, you know what you do? Find a color scheme that has one of the colors-ish from your previous one and then just put that on there sort of like a – almost like you're building like a Lincoln log sort of situation, right? Mm-hmm. You get one down at the bottom and then off of this square comes up another. And you do that maybe three times. Keep it keep it simple because the weird thing is as soon as you have a, a tight controlled color scheme on something, it will just look better. That's sort of like an easy rule, especially if you're in the indie. And some uh, good fonts. Get some nice fonts. Just one or two. Don't use freaking Arial. No Times New Roman stuff in here. Nope. Just get I some- also want to say mm-hmm. and you need to understand the ratcheting fidelity problem. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what this means is fidelity uh, I'm using to just mean sort of like how high quality something looks. Right. Or like the, the, the way that it looks. So if you spend a whole bunch of time like on your main character and like making it very intricate and interesting looking, et cetera, um, then – and then everything else in your game, you spend 10 percent of that time and it just – and nothing else quite looks the same as your main character or whatever. Then the game itself suddenly loses cohesion mm-hmm. and it does not it, – it does not look professional or, or good. Um if everything looks equally bad, then then somehow that can just become the aesthetic. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about a game like RimWorld, which it does use color well and stuff, um, but the actual appearance of the uh, the like animals and the people and everything else, it's just not – it just doesn't look that good. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't look at it and be like, I'm visually pleased. By yeah, well, it's, but, and it's actually because it's so because it's not that it's bad. It's just so simple, right? It's very simple, and but it's totally consistent. Yeah, utilitarian, yeah. Is good right? It's utilitarian. Like you see a like you see a buffalo in RimWorld, and you see a person in RimWorld, and you're like, these are from the same game. Those yep. tracks, like this, this exactly tracks. Um, so if if all of a sudden RimWorld had photorealistic people with 3D models walking around next to these 2D two part flat colored buffalo mm-hmm. you'd be like this is we should also say there's always an exception for nintendo because nintendo can do whatever the fuck it wants and everybody will be happy well i mean the truth right. is actually, so if you, you look can, at super mario odyssey yeah <laughs> super yeah. mario odyssey has the most insane collection of art styles and, and this is one of those things fidelity. Actually, which is that if you once you actually know like really know what you're doing on the art side and i mean like really know i'm not i would not be i'm not there i wouldn't be comfortable there 
then you can start mixing styles. But that is like a that is like oh yeah, I've been an art director for like fourteen movies and yeah, it's, it's, well, it's either you really know or you can really get away with anything because because to is, me that's that is actually where Mario Odyssey falls. Like I don't think I don't think that the like the T Rex juxtaposition, the photorealistic T Rex. <laughs> yeah, like it didn't. It, <laughs> I don't Mario think it was like a, a good artistic move. It was just that they could get away with it and be, and then the fact that they could get away get away with it made it good again, right? Because like. Because it's like, can you believe that this yeah, is Yeah, can you here? believe right. that they can do that? that that's amazing that, that they can literally just like slap something. On, like, and it's a T-Rex. It makes no – like there's no dimension along which that makes any sense at all. And so you get this kind of – you get this kind of just like fun like – that's amazing that Nintendo can just do that, you know. But again, I love the scene of the, uh, the man in the city that looks like a detective in like a noir film. Like, yeah. Oh, just like a regular looking guy yeah. standing next to Mario whose head is like the size of a Buick. Well, so as much as much because like they, they are mixing these different uh, styles, but they're all rendered in a similar fashion actually in that game. So they're you, rendered using the same shaders. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. And so stuff like so that. They actually they still have a level of, of consistency to them that doesn't make them feel like a uh, – Yeah, so they have much. just enough consistency. Yeah. And so – yeah, so the big the big things are there the consistency. Um, you find some fonts, find some colors, limit your color palette, and then depending on what your skills actually are when it comes to the art side of things, um, if you're doing so, if you're doing pixel art or 3D models, whatever else, uh, it's the same sort of idea, which is that you can. It's okay to have something that is sort of like a almost like an expression of a thing, more so than like. So it's not a buffalo accurately. But it feels like a buffalo because, like, it, whatever you're able to do somehow makes it feel like that. And it's these, like an Avatar: The Last Airbender, you know. It's like they call the thing a penguin, but then that penguin has four has four wings, you mm-hmm. know. Or they call the thing a buffalo, and it's got it looks like a tardigrade. But, yep. but, but you get it. Like, it's fine like in this universe. That's what you know, a buffalo yeah, is. In this yeah. universe, it makes sense. Importantly, so, uh, consistency is key. Yeah, yep. use reference. I. You gotta use reference. I guarantee Adam and I, you said that that tardigrade thing for that. I guarantee that was a tardigrade reference for that fucking. Oh yeah, I mean that, it is. It literally it is exactly a is a tardigrade with a buffalo face on it. Yep. And you know what? It's amazing. So you have to use <laughs> like using a reference allows you to go way faster if you're worried about like slowness on the art side because uh, because you can actually see what the shapes are supposed to be like and stuff. And also you can like fuck just trace trace over like you know here's this shape I want for this head. Grab this crocodile back half. Trace part of that and then put it in there and then like bend it around a little bit and like you're good to go. You know, it's it's you don't have to imagine that you're gonna you know magically somehow draw everything from scratch when you don't know how to do that. Yeah, but that's it. All yeah. the, out of all the art stuff, uh, the core thing that you do is if you're if you're limited on resources and if you're limited on time, if you're basically whatever your limits are, identify the consequences of those. So if that means that you need to have less art, right? Or your art has to be of a certain uh, simplicity or whatever so you can afford it or so you can do it yourself or whatever. Uh, it's it's just recognizing that fact. And I think I think part of the problem here it sounds like is if you're 95% done coding with the game and now you're adding aesthetics, that basically means you didn't design your game around the aesthetic requirements, right? Mm. Right, so you're, you're going to have to redo independently. <laughs> so you're you kind of put you kind of backed yourself into an unfortunate corner where where if you made the game dependent on certain kinds of visual things that you cannot do, uh, then there's kind of no way around that. Right, besides recoding the game around stuff that you can do, 
Um, and then the question – and the, this, this overall strategy though, which is with all of this, is the approach of asking where – what can I get away with not doing, right? What can I get away with doing the minimum of? Where where are the weak points that that I know I can't do something and then the thing – and then take that into consideration with the things that you can do well and ask how do you mask that or how do you get around that with the things that you can do? So in the mm-hmm. case of – in the case of uh, what we talked about with Crashlands a long time ago, right, was – was having explosions and actually all of our prior games is using explosions to mask things that we didn't want to deal with animating or having extra mm-hmm. art assets for or whatever. Uh, or, or it having like a charm. It works or like a charm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there are things that there, there are always little tricks that you can come up with where you can get away with stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and you need to start looking for those because if, you're, if your question is always, Oh, I need an art asset. How do I get an art asset? Right. Instead of oh I like I can't really get the art asset that I want. How do I redesign this? Um, or how do I how do I add some new new uh, trick right to make it so that I don't actually have to have that thing, or so that I can be simpler. Mm-hmm. You can also do funny stuff like uh, I know some people I've seen some pixel art games where the art itself looked flat, right? So in other words, there's not there's not good shading. There's not a lot going on in terms of like giving it volume. But then they did this thing where, where the character turned around. They just did that sort of like billboard. So, uh, yeah, spin right. thing so it, like it literally go, completely disappears for a moment as it spins into yeah. Uh, 2D well, yeah if, so if you're using a and, 3D uh, engine to to do your a 2D game like that's a thing you can easily do well, you can right? even do that in 2D you just, fucking, just like you know pop the thing over yeah. but it's like there's some ways that you can actually lean into the what, or perceived weaknesses you have that end up making them into the aesthetic so like the fact that that flat thing behaves in this sort of comical way uh, actually add some charm to it as opposed to being like mm-hmm. someone trying to act like it's a photorealistic bunny or something. You know what I mean? Like it's – Yeah. But yeah. again, it's a it's a consistency thing. So like if only your character does that and nothing else oh, yeah, in the game does weird. that, then yeah, again, it's, it's weird. Then it feels well, like can a mistake. Still work. Right? It can still work sometimes putting on yeah. a lot of stuff. But yeah, I think, I think the thing is focusing on – is understanding what your actual strengths are and what your real limits are. And if, if your strength is basically you're a programmer, not an artist <laughs> – and your limits are you aren't going to take the time or can't take the time to uh, to brush up the art skills enough to make you know production quality assets, and you also can't afford to hire people to do that for you. Then everything you do about your art has to be programming centric, right? Mm-hmm. And the question has to be: How do I use my programming skill to make simple art that I can make really good and interesting? And the, the example we always use for this is Thomas was alone, right? Which is which is just rectangles and lighting. Yeah. That's its whole thing. And it's so and, good. And it's really good because it doesn't – because as long as things are consistent and good, um, uh, it's like you, you know, not shitty color palettes and that sort of thing, um, and that you add the right level of programmatic polish. Yeah, I mean lighting is huge. A lot. Honestly, lighting, lighting is gigantic. Like if you – and it is a programming problem primarily. So yep. if you can – if you do some of that, I mean – Lighting is You're good in terms of how yeah, much. I forgot. Yeah, I think, I think this, but this is like a really common uh, problem that I, that I think solo devs, uh, but indies just in general face is that they have a dream game, and the the design of that game is independent of of their skill set, uh, and and they set about you know starting to start slapping together design documents. They start trying to recruit people who can then do all the various parts of the work and all this kind of stuff, and. And you know, this is, it's kind of an unfortunate thing. It's like you're, you're here. Here you are saying like I'm 95 percent of the way done, right? Which, as as we joked, but it is true, means that you're you're not at best half, half done. done right? <laughs> um, but uh, but the time to have figured out 
how you were going to manage your limited resources um, was at the design phase when you designed the game. Because the design of the game must include all of your constraints. It has to. Um, otherwise, you're going to be fighting the design of your game for the entire time you're making it, which isn't fun. And then you're always worried about how am I going to do all these amazing things that I, that I intend to do? Like, and, and it forces you to spend more and more money and more and more time um, trying to force the thing to match your original vision instead of just designing it from the outset to to be able to be a thing that because if you're calling yourself a solo dev, like why why make a game that requires other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, that's not an easy thing to do. I can't we we can't say like okay, take this game you're half done with and uh, and now redesign it with the actual constraints in place. Um, but that is well, the yeah, unfortunate just, reality of that's that is the easiest way to 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 solve your problem is to have not put yourself in a position where you had the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. But it's there now. But it is so there that, now. So, so the next which, easiest which thing to do is all the other stuff we said. Well, yeah, which isn't to say that you know you've like gone to a point of no return or anything. It's, it's just no, it's just to kind of it's just kind of recognize since we don't know anything about the game, of course. Um, no. It's just to recognize the current state of the game. Like Adam said, recognize your your strengths and your weaknesses in terms of things like creation of art and stuff and your constraints and, in terms of resources right and and either um scale back on certain aspects of what you intended to do with the visuals or update the design of the game update the the structure of the programming of the game to make it so that you can now capitalize on what you know your strengths and weaknesses to be um as a as a visual artist so uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to it uh, it's it's a pretty big problem but i hope i hope you get it figured out and if you do there's, there's always a way there's always, there's a way. always come into a way. discord come into discord drop some uh drop some visuals in there mm-hmm. i want to see this thing mm-hmm. uh all right so that's all the time we have for this week we would like to thank our producers fat bard and jen coster for putting the podcast together and thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the butterscotch community just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the discord a way for you to donate to support the podcast and links to the archives Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.